everybody, this is Kevin. Um, just as we were finishing recording this week's episode, uh, literally in the last 10, 15 minutes of our record, um, Benedict started um, trying to hurry me along uh, and getting me to finish the episode quicker. Um, and that was because as we were recording, Politico leaked what appears to be the draft opinion of the Supreme Court that decision that is going to um, destroy Roe v. Wade. And um, I've, I've been sitting here about a half hour since we finished recording now, uh, reading through part of it, and I, at this point, can't conclude other than that it looks real to me, which doesn't say much, but that if it is real, it will do just that. It will get rid of Roe v. Wade. It will get rid of the right to abortion in the United States. It will, based on my reading, allow for prosecution of women who get abortions. It's cartoon villain shit. Um, and I'm sure over the coming uh, weeks... There's, there's going to be protests. There's going to be marches. Um, I just want to encourage everyone to, to get out there and do what you can. I'm, I have nothing scripted right now. I'm just talking off the top of my head. Um, I know I usually sound scripted even when I'm just speaking normally. But I can't come up with anything to do. I don't know anything right now that will do anything about this problem. I just don't know. Because we are living under fucking cartoon villains who have decided that nothing matters except what they want. And... Everyone else can go fuck themselves. They're literal fucking fascists. That's... Benedict gets mad when I use that word a lot. Or when I, I use other words of that nature. But I think it applies to this right now. It's people who want to enforce their will on others. No matter what the majority of people actually think, no matter what anyone wants, no matter what's actually moral or right, because they are convinced that the only thing that could be right is the thing that they believe in. I can't come up with any way to solve this. I just don't know. And... I know there's a lot of people right there with me right now. People who are probably more affected by this than me. And the best I can say is that I'm going to do everything I can possibly do when I figure out what that is to try and do something about this. I will march in the streets, I will call my representatives, I will sure as shit vote for any fucking Democrat on the ballot because I recognize that even if they're not my preferred 
choice, even if they're not perfect on all the issues that I believe in. They're better than this fucking bullshit. And I'm... I'm gonna try. That's all I can do. And I hope that all of you will be right there with me. So, uh, now that I've thoroughly ruined the mood for everyone, um, I hope you enjoy this week's episode. And uh, we'll be back next week and maybe have a little bit more to say. Maybe a little bit more clarity by then. But thanks as always for listening. Um, Please know that, that we do care And uh, we want to do what we can to help anyone who needs it. You should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the Can Eat More. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Hello and welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to, because it's the only way to get Mambo number five out of our heads. My name is Kevin, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Benedict, who brought souvenirs back from his European vacation for all of you. Benedict, what's your favorite Spanish dish? Uh, Patatas bravas. Ah, that was one that I looked up earlier because I couldn't think of I any do. names. I love, of I love Spanish a, dishes. I, love top, I also love a uh, tortilla de patatas, which is a mm, uh, those a, yes, a, a, otherwise what known those as a are. Spanish omelet, um, mm. which is that like caramelized onion and conflict potato omelet. Basically, yes. you've had it. Don't lie. Delish. Yeah, delicious. Delish. What's your favorite uh, Spanish dish? <laughs> I don't know. Um, Eating a whole leg of jamón iberico, oh like jamon a turkey iberico leg, is so good. Just like <laughs> so uncommonly, yeah, it's, it's so expensive because they feed them acorns. They, they hand feed them acorns. That's why. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of fucking it's ridiculous. So good. It's really really good. Um, also, do you know why the Spanish eat so much ham? I think I may have told you this, but um, because they're not fans of those capitalist pigs. Um. um not quite, but <laughs> you need to be careful. You said that almost as though there was a grain of be truth careful. in well, what I, I had be, said. Yeah, well, listen, I, I didn't what know, I had I didn't bullshitted. know if you were trying to say something racist or or like no. something. Well, it's because they kicked the they kicked Muslims and Jews out of the country. Ah, in the, and then in they the got 1500s. really excited about pigs. Well, no, they, they made people eat pork to prove they weren't. Muslim or Jew, ah, Jewish, so also yeah, bad. really bad, also not bad. good at all. So then it became super pop- <laughs> super popular in the country to be like, I am a Catholic who I eat ham. You know what's really funny though is like uh, most of my Jewish friends I've ever had like fucking love pork more than I do. Yeah. <laughs> like, it is weird. It, well, they've also all been atheists, but yeah, you know, well that's like, the thing. Really... But it is weird what yeah. sticks. Like I definitely like I have a load of Muslim friends that like don't follow any of the rules. Mm-hmm. For the, for but the, just don't like the well, taste, no, but right? They just don't eat pork, and they're like, "Oh, it's an, like I like whatever." Like that's that's the one rule I follow, I guess. Like, yeah. One of my my uh, roommates, the one I was in uh, Berkeley that you met the time you came to hang out, 
Um, he had never had ribs until I made them. <laughs> and he fucking loved my ribs. Okay. They were a specialty right. around our place. That little courtyard yeah, we had yeah, there. That nice place. Anyways, Benedict! Uh, what would you say if I said to you... What would you say if I said that to you? Um, help. <laughs> <laughs> well, what if I continued to say to you? Rise and shine. I'd say we're probably about to face some kind of copyright infraction. I think I, to be fair, roughly guessed the tune of this. Okay, this, this whole thing is going to get taken down because you've played too much of the song. No, Ben Licht, because for them to do a DMCA takedown, they would have to acknowledge that that song exists, and they refuse to do so. Well, we'll see, won't we? But one of our listeners... Found the Ron Paul song on a sketchy Slovakian wow. video website. Thank you for the computer viruses. <laughs> and it is the greatest thing I have. Oh, I'm sure my phone is fucked. Both of my computers are fucked now. I'm 100% sure. It's abs- absolute trash because I went to the site, which is like Mohe Video. And I mean, this this thing, I had a little bit of fun looking around like, the, the trending section, it's like a wannabe YouTube, but yeah. obviously like very few people use this thing. It's probably full of child porn. I don't know. I haven't looked around that much. Uh, like the top video on their trending section is a seven second video titled Stylish Holder for a Large Bottle of Jack Daniels. Mm. <laughs> okay. And the number two is Production of Garden Stoves from River Stones and Concrete. I don't know what's going on at this place, Weird. but for some reason, they have the Ron Paul sure. song video. Why not? Why wouldn't they? <laughs> so, of course, I will be linking it in the show notes. <laughs> you can go see the Ron Paul video. Uh, it's outstanding. I have to say for it. Um, I have listened to it a number of times uh, since it was sent to me, and... As stupid as it is, I still think Amy Allen is so fucking talented, it still rocks. <laughs> it still kicks ass. It's incredible. So, um, that, that's, I mean, that's, that's made my week. It's made my month. It's made, it's made my everything. I'm, I'm so freaking happy about that. I can't even explain it to you. But, um, I've lost track of where we are. Uh, we're not doing hot takes this week. Bennett just got back from vacation. Why don't we just jump on into housekeeping? Uh, this is a show. We're at a show. We are so scrambled up. Uh, we haven't recorded in multiple weeks now. Yeah, we're off our visit. We recorded a bunch ahead yep. of time because Benedict was going on vacation. Um, so, you know, this is what we do here. Read books, uh, talking about right-wing bullshit. You know what we do. Housekeeping! Rate and review us on iTunes. Remember to do that. Follow us on all of the social medias. Uh, even the one Elon Musk is in the process of trying to ruin that I love. Uh, and updates... We have a $1 patron level now. I know I said that last time, but we also we also have our first $1 patron now, which feels like an I accomplishment. Think by law, you can't say who it is, though. Ah, that, you know what? <laughs> we do have three new patrons uh, since we last recorded, so I won't say 
who is what. But I think eventually someone would be able to figure it out by process of elimination, just because the $1 patrons only get a shout-out initially, and then they don't oh, do they, after do that. Oh, they get an original shout-out? Okay, I didn't know They that. do, right I now, thought, as I I'm going to do. I thought they never got a shout-out. I thought that was the well, whole no, point. Okay, no, no. Okay. Welcoming in to our Spooky oh, World New I World see, Order. I, see, I am okay, welcoming okay, our new okay, patrons. Okay, okay, okay. Our newest patron, JD Main Guess, found the song. <laughs> is, as you might guess, the person who found the Ron Paul song and sent it to me on Twitter, Honestly, and you absolutely is you there all a hall of follow. fame for the Spooky New World Order? Because I feel ah, like there that needs might to be. be there, you know what? I'm just gonna play all the clips. All the clips. You get all of them. Go ahead. <laughs> just you're you're I'm everything. Not a witch. You're just nice. Um, nice. So. Oh, you're you're just Cat my favorite. Rumble. Cut eight. Go. Thank you. I cannot thank you. Everyone needs to go follow at main underscore guess. Can Twitter. we have like an honorary uh, presidency for the spooky new? Uh, world yeah, the, the... presidency, chancellor, yeah. um, uh, universe. Uh, what would you call it? Uh, ruler of the universe, whatever you are, uh, of our patrons. Uh, I, I owe you everything. I owe you everything. I am so happy. Uh, also, our other patrons who we love slightly less. <laughs> Another new patron, George Saulnier is how I've chosen to pronounce it, because it looks like it might be French-ish. I hope sure. that's correct. You are now part of our... New World Spooky World Order. Bienvenue. <laughs> as well as Gamork. You are now part of our... New World Spooky World Order. And welcome. Thank you all so very much for joining us here. Anyways, you all know how to become part of the Spooky World New World Order. Tweet about the show, leave us a five-star review, make a donation to a worthwhile charity, or do something as awesome as finding the Ron Paul song for me, and you will become a part of our Spooky Please World Please don't do anything order. illegal to be part of the Spooky New World Order. Mm, no. We, there might be something illegal cannot, about this Slovakian website. We cannot <laughs> officially endorse anyone doing anything illegal to become part of the New World Spooky World Order. Uh, not officially. But follow your, follow your dreams in your heart. That's all I will say. <laughs> Insert joke about Clarence Thomas's address here. Um, anyways, Benedict. That feels like incitement. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely a joke. Listen, FBI, that was absolutely a joke. Um, we are starting off today. Benedict, stuff. We're doing things today, Would right? You pull uh, it together, please. Like, <laughs> I honestly. can't. I'm still so happy about the song. <laughs> If you stop being professional, then I'll have to start, and nobody I wants do have, that. I, I do have ten pages of notes for today's That's show, so many. I better pull yeah. it the fuck together, <laughs> or we're going to be in a lot of trouble. But anyways, uh, we are, as I have noted, and as I should note here, we are really beginning in earnest this new series that we're doing. I don't know if we can really even call it a series, because it might last forever. <laughs> it's certainly <laughs> not a season. Things I've said better. There's a time for all. Yeah, it's basically it's, a season. Yeah. But it's a new thing with the interstitial episodes. You know, a couple weeks ago, Benedict mentioned that he wanted he wanted the show to be better, because he was really happy. And he's heard a show that inspired him. And I, that inspired me. And also, I was already working on And now on I regret everything. I didn't tell him about it. Uh, but <laughs> I, I have put together what I am calling our Lunatic Fringe series. And by Lunatic Fringe, I mean the core of the Republican Party because the, the outside has become the center and, and we live in hell world now. But I want to start off by noting at the outset that this series is not going to be the same as what we've done on this show for the last couple of years. It's been in the works by me for months 
And I know I've been saying we do it and saying we do it over and over, and that's not just because I had some plan of tossing together some episodes on the fringe right in the future. I've had much of this in the works for a while. I've been doing this research and a lot of reading and other stuff to build my own knowledge base on this subject that I think it's incredibly important. And I think it's important because while we've been reading these right-wing books for years, written by some of the most popular figures over there on the right, we've talked a lot about the text what we're about to explore is all of the subtext mm. behind that. Sort of the muck and the filth and the slime stuck to the jackboot of the American right. Because as much as the influential figures have led right-wing thought, there is a force more powerful than anything that Glenn Beck or Mark Levin or Dinesh D'Souza could ever put out uh, into their world. It's this undercurrent. It's a movement that doesn't really have any form or substance of its own, but I think can best be characterized as the appeal of extremism. It sort of pulls harder than any bullshit Austrian school economics ever could. Um, and, you know, when Glenn Beck was doing his 9-12 rallies, speaking to those big audiences who were so happy to see him, the words he chose weren't really ones he had chosen for himself. They were chosen for him by the hatred, the white, and I do mean white, seething hatred of his crowds and his audiences. And the best he could ever really do was to try to leave his indent on the movement that had sprung up in the wake of the election of the first African-American president, Barack Obama. And that trend, of course, continues today, right? Amplified by people like Beck, who signed a deal with the devil to have that power for a moment and stand at the head of the creature of hate, uh, even if they ended up getting burned in the end like he did. <laughs> and I don't want to say that the entirety of what drives this area of American politics is white supremacy. It's just that that's the most significant factor of it all. Of course, greed and classism and religious biases and susceptibility to conspiracism and just plain old stupidity are also important factors in the modern contemporary right as well. And we'll be talking about most of those as we go on. But I want to highlight up front the racism because of how central to all of this it really is. Mm -hmm. As I started investing all this, investigating all this a while back, uh, when I got the idea to sort of do this series, I was really struck by how almost every figure I was looking into had ties to white supremacists. To the point where I literally came up with the idea of starting like a map of all these connections of just you can't red string. It would have been red string. It's just visually, <laughs> you can't do that. It would have yeah. been crazy. I still sort of want okay. to do it. I still do. If I can find like some software that does some stuff so I could link to like all the sources for all this, it would be really fun for mm. me because my mind is broken. Mm -hmm. If you have any suggestions for software that will do that and would be good, let me know. Otherwise, I'm going to have a wall full of red strings behind me and Benedict is going to start to get worried. I'm Kevin, I uh, am already worried. <laughs> <laughs> but somewhere along the way, the right realized that in absence of a real political program, appealing to hatred was enough to build a coalition of voters that could keep them in power. Mm. And for the mainstream Republican Party, the object of that hate didn't matter. It was enough to give the followers hate that they could choose for themselves whatever the most important hate nexus for that target was. And with that strategy, you're going to build a monster that you'll eventually lose control mm -hmm. of. And I can't say exactly when the Republican Party lost control of the reins, but it seems to have taken place somewhere around the time of the Tea Party, because that's the time when the followers, the people who had previously just listened to all this, 
began to win elections mm-hmm. and replace the old guard that had sort of cynically used the propaganda to create the ideology of hate that they found so beneficial for their own purposes. I don't, to be I, honest, I'd argue they lost control of it a bit with Reagan. I, you could go back there, but, but then I would, I, even I would say, say they regained you know, control of it with with yeah in the in the nineties, and I mean they lost absolutely. They had to reset um, with the Bushes. But then, yeah, yeah no, I would absolutely. say Reagan's the first iteration of them losing control of it. If, if oh yeah, because Reagan was he was a true believer in the bullshit that they all had all been yeah. saving, right? The Joseph McCarthyite, uh, Red Scare type yeah. stuff. Reagan was an absolute true believer in that. And Nixon sense. was a cynical manipulator of it. I think absolutely, absolutely. But over the rest of the 2010s, following the Tea Party, what we saw was a gradual replacement. The, the real great replacement of the old guard with an extremist force of ideologues. And while the old guard was gross and vile, the new guard, you know, needed to be put down because of rabies. <laughs> the old extremism wasn't enough and it didn't quite hit as hard as it used to. And the ever continuing search for the right flank, for the right edge, for that new high has led us to today. And it created the Lauren Boberts and the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Paul Gosars and the Alex Joneses and, of course, the Donald Trumps. Because Trump himself was a creation of the feedback loop. He was a Fox News grandpa who shuffled out of the TV room to yell into a camera that everything you had been taught to hate over the last 20 years was not only deserving of that hate, but of destruction. So I want to put up front that over the foreseeable future, the interstitial episodes as we do this series... We're going to be repeatedly going back to all the ties between extremists and white supremacists and the core of the modern Republican Party. And this material is a bit heavier than what we've dealt with in the past. We'll be talking about anti-Semites and neo-Confederates and neo-Nazis and misogynists and Islamophobes and every type of the worst people this country has to offer. Not that that isn't who we've always been talking Mm -hmm. about, just that we'll be talking about them a bit more explicitly. And a big content warning comes with all of that, right? I'm going to be mindful as we go through this to try and provide warnings when I think it's necessary. We'll be discussing material that could be objectionable or could worry some people. But I think this subject is important enough that the journey is worth going through to the end. And by the time we're done, I hope that we've done justice to what is, I think, the most important issue in American politics, which is not understanding uh, what a few misunderstood conservatives in an Ohio coffee shop say to the New York Times— but what they think and say when the New York Times is not around. And even more, what invisible hands that they might not even know of or have ever even heard about have guided them to the ideologies and positions that they hold today. And a large part of their program, just to be, be sure, to let you know, has been watering down white supremacy to something that is more appealing to the masses. Mm-hmm. Very intentionally. The modern trend sort of post-Oklahoma City bombing has been to shift from white supremacy to sort of the language of European-style white identitarian fascism, right? Mm. And that connects to a concerted change in the focus from anti-black and Jewish hate towards the anti-Muslim hate you sort of get post-9-11. Yeah, I mean, there's an interesting... uh, (laughs) European nationalism is much more nationalist... Mm-hmm. Um, I think because of old border borderlines and, you know, like there's very like German identity and Serb identity and, you know, th- th- those strong nationalisms within Europe are very like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? 
Oh, I don't not, think that American nationalism has anything to do with nationalism. No, no, neither, neither do I. That's what I'm saying. And, and that, that yeah. so, so it, it, in in America, because those distinctions don't ex- those historical distinctions don't exist within the borders of the country, those divides are made along race lines rather than yeah, exactly. rather than. Um, oh, what's the word for? I mean, if you listen, like we're we're gonna talk throughout the series about the BNP uh-huh. and UKIP and the National Front. We're gonna, yeah. I've intentionally tried to include some foreign groups because we are so America centric on this mm-hmm. show, even though we do have a lot of an international audience. Uh, so I've <laughs> and tried a to European as co-host. Of the show. <laughs> so I've tried to plot out, uh, and I, it's not in our current outline, but I might put an episode in there. That's just explicitly about um, foreign uh, white supremacy or nationalism. Or yeah, sort of I, I mean, there, there, there are national fronts across Europe, and, and which which echo mm-hmm. kind of phalangism and fascism explicitly, actually. Um, so there's there's definitely, and I do think that's different from American American nationalism, white nationalism, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I do think that American nationalism particularly in trying to water itself down, white nationalism has taken some cues weirdly from those European nationalist movements. Yeah. And you see it really explicitly. The the episode we're doing today, I should say, is, as I've titled it, A Brief History of Mm. Hate, Part 1. And sort of today we're going, you know, from the Civil War up to around the 1990s. Something's carrying through a little bit, just so I could finish off the story. Um, But there's going to be a later episode where we're going to talk about post, you know, Oklahoma City bombing going into, you know, 2001, the shift towards anti-Muslim rhetoric. Um, And then I think there might have to be an entire episode just about Unite the Right and the groups that were involved there. Can we... Because you can't... Can we call something like international nationalism or... You know what? I... I, Yeah, I think... (laughs) I think that was something, it's not in the outline right now, but it is something that's been kicking around my mind. Um, because there is an internationalizing of nationalism. You see some of the big figures weird. who have lived overseas in Europe. David Duke spent about five years in Russia. Um, so did uh, the guy who runs the Daily Stormer, Andrew Anglin. He spent some time overseas. A lot of these people, um, Jared Taylor, uh, and they started to sort of use the language. So they switched from, for example, uh, uh, one of the big groups was Identity Europa. Mm-hmm. Uh, they changed their group name to, uh, I believe it was um, American Identity, mm-hmm. right? Uh, which, which, it's a subtle shift, but you also look at the way they changed their rhetoric around that time. Um, it is, without a doubt, a white supremacist group. And they also were very much hiding the fact that they were a white supremacist group before that change had to happen. But sort of post, you know, Unite the Right in Charlottesville, they had to do something to, A, try and get away from the lawsuits they were facing, mm-hmm. and B, uh, sort of shift their image in a way that they thought people wouldn't notice. But we'll be talking about that sort of stuff. And I, I do like the point you made, because I very much agree that they are reaching for that sort of Europeanization mm-hmm. of their fascism. But so, like I said, today's episode, obviously by a history of hate, I don't mean we're going to do it in a single episode, Um, I don't even mean we're going to be covering the entire history of hatred today, specifically today, we're going to be talking about American racial, religious, and political hate, Mm -hmm. focusing on the post-Civil War Reconstruction era to today. And obviously, no discussion for one episode. I know, isn't it? Isn't it? Aren't I ambitious? Uh, Obviously, no discussion of hate in America would be complete or could probably start without a discussion of the Ku Klux Klan. Fair enough. So Which iteration first, are we going with first? The very first We're iteration? going through all okay, the iterations. Right, okay. We're going to start with the first one. We're starting with right. the first one. So the first Klan, mm-hmm. as most people are likely aware, began in the wake of the U.S. Civil War. 
uh, in the Reconstruction era, and is often intentionally misrepresented by modern white supremacists as promoters of the lost cause narrative, as a noble group of white men protecting the South in a time of turmoil, just protecting good old white folks from the terror of all those freed slaves. Mm-hmm. Oh, Lord of mercy. <laughs> the Vapors. Obviously, that's not the reality, mm-hmm. right? The first clan was started in December 1865. You know how you need to protect people by setting crosses on fire. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was started in December 1865 by six former officers of the Confederate mm-hmm. Army. Um, you'll commonly hear that Nathan Bedford Forrest was one of the founders of the clan, and that's a misconception. He actually wasn't. He was the first Grand Wizard of mm-hmm. the clan, but not one of the six original founding members. And... The first clan bears very little resemblance to the clan you probably all heard of. Uh, they were largely a paramilitary force of guerrillas that carried out nighttime assassinations and raids, mainly on northern leaders, the people who allied with them, and, of course, any black that decided to get politically Would active. Would you say that the Ku Klux Klan was the first modern guerrilla war? Mm. I would say that the Ku Klux Klan was cancelled by the Enforcement Acts. Yeah. That's fair. No, but just, 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 I mean, I, I can't. I, can't I, I don't know when you call modern. Yeah. I mean, we could go back and we could say, like, uh, the, the not, not the Spanish Civil War, but what was the war before that? Um, uh, bah, 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 bah. There was plenty of guerrilla action in Spain going on before the U.S. Civil War. Um, so there's a book I sent you a long time ago called The Canon, which I think you should read, you dick. Uh, it's actually the kind of thing you would enjoy. Yeah, but I just mean um, in terms of like a like lost cause stuff. I, I I can't think of any wars off the top of my head where like fighting continued in a in a guerrilla way mm. after peace treaties were signed. I'm sure there were I, somewhere, I'm, but I'm not, yeah, I, I agree with you. Not I, that I, I can think of. Think of not... like, and and that became quite a common thing. You know, like certainly yeah. you know in in later wars where where weapons were more readily accessible that could do damage. Right. You know. Because we're talking about an ideological Yeah, group, exactly. Right? We're, we're, which, you know, if, if you're just fighting for land, fighting which for is what a lot prince, of wars are about. You're like, eh, whatever. Yeah, you know, fuck it. like he's really dead, care. whatever. That's fine. But if you got white supremacy to yeah, uphold, it's a whole system. then you got a little bit more impetus to keep fighting. Sorry, carry on. But I, I fear that if I keep interrupting no, you, we'll never get to the end I, of the No, episode. I love the interruption. No, I know you do. It's going to be a I'm long worried. episode, and, and you're going to suffer yeah. through it. So you just had a nice long vacation. You get to come back to this. It's going to be fun. Uh, but not surprisingly, that sympathetic narrative of the Klan tracks closely with the narrative of the 1915 silent movie Birth of mm-hmm. a Nation by D.W. Griffith, which is itself an adaptation of a stage play based on a 1905 book called The Klansman by Thomas Dixon Jr. And you can't see behind me right now, Benedict, because my head is blocking it. That book is currently on my bookshelf okay. here in my bedroom uh, because I read trash. Mm-hmm. Because I was interested in seeing what's actually in it. What I, you know, I bought that book when I started doing all this research. It's a bad book. It's a very bad book. Um, the book and the film, and I have also watched the movie, although it is on YouTube. I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. Um, you can watch it on 2x speed because it's a silent movie. So, you know, watch it, <laughs> it, watch it as fast as you can. It's a three-hour yeah. movie. It is very long. Um, they, they tell the stories of a northern anti-slavery family and a southern slaveholding one and the bullshitted version of what they experience in the Reconstruction South. Mm-hmm. It demonizes blacks, as you suggest, expect. And the most horrible treatment in the film is reserved for people of mixed race. And the uh, pro-integration uh, Republican representative, whose name I can't remember, but he's based on Thaddeus Stevens. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, like, the most notorious 
uh, scene of the film shows like newly elected black state representatives in the state house leering at white women while eating fried chicken and drinking. Like, it's not great. It's really not great. So it goes goes far (laughs) to say that as, listen, go with me here. That is bad. It's bad. bad. It's bad. And the movie ends, other with, like, like there's a love scene or like a wedding scene at the very end of it, the book and the movie. Um, but it ends with like a heroic scene in which the clan is waiting on they horseback in, right? to intimidate like the, the blacks famous, into not yeah. voting. Like, yeah, that's that's what it is. So it's it's bad. Do we it's really just bad. A, 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 an editing note potentially that you can edit out. Mm-hmm. Do we want to say blacks or black people? I feel like. Um, you know what? I didn't think about it, but black people yeah. sounds better. I would, yeah. I would, I yeah. would, I would henceforth say black people because <laughs> you've said blacks like three I will times. do so. Yeah, <laughs> I would maybe yeah. edit that. I think maybe because I was writing this as I yeah. had uh, the Klansman, the book uh, sitting on my desk in yeah. front of me, and I was so, flipping so through so you've it. You've just yeah. been writing maybe the racist <laughs> terminology. I would. Uh, yeah, but so would the first clan. The first clan was sort of a flash in the pan. It was crushed by the Enforcement Acts, which were designed to target and prosecute clan crimes. And also, I will say, the fact that, you know, uh, the clan sort of got what they wanted and the South was turned back over to the whites, so they didn't have much of a reason which, to exist. Which exist. part of the deal um, in that in that four-way election, right? The, the 18... Right. yes. Yep, the corrupt yeah. bargain. Uh, and then the second clan. Yeah. And the second clan was founded in 1915 at Stone Mountain, Georgia, which, fun fact, today has a 90-foot-tall by 400-foot-wide carving of Jefferson Davis, Robert E. Lee, and Stonewall Jackson. Yeah, yeah. That carving was uh, planned in the 1910s and 20s, but wasn't begun until 1958. Benedict, do you know anything that happened in 1958? You do. That's when Brown v. Board of Education came out. I did actually know that. You didn't have to tell me. Yeah, Um, I know. Interesting. But so, the second... again, sorry, another interesting point. 1910s, 1920s is when a lot of the um, lionizing monuments to Confederate soldiers yep. went up, and they were often cheap. And then the sec, you see two spikes if yeah. you look at those sort of maps of when those things went up. It's 1910s, 1920s, and then during civil rights in the 1950s yeah. and 1960s. Yeah, and they, they were often um, cheaply made and kind of mass produced, which is why they come down yeah, so this easily. one was carved into a mountain, so it's a little one. bit more but difficult. Saying, they, they, that's why they come down so easily whenever you pull them down, which I'm not ooh, encouraging ooh, anyone ooh. to do. But If you want to join the spooky world New World Order, no. I know a mountain you can go out to with a chisel. <laughs> Just take Jefferson Davis's nose off, please. They please. must have some some full-time that's security true. guards there, because otherwise that mountain would yeah, be that, fucked that wouldn't up be a mountain by now. There anymore. Um, no. But no, so I think, you know, that, that that is part of, again, like whenever people make the argument, oh, it's our heritage or like, you know, whatever. No, none it's of, hate. None it's of this hate. comes from the 1800s. None of it comes from even no. the mid 1800s or like just the Civil War. This is all 1910s and 1960s stuff generally. Yep. Yeah, it's made to, you know, put people back in their mm-hmm. place, as they'd say. Uh, but the second clan was founded by William Joseph Simmons, who was a preacher, of course, because religion is usually intertwined with all this stuff. Uh, and the second clan was also, unsurprisingly, heavily based on the movie Birth of a Nation. Oh, interesting. So they took- <laughs> it was the first fanboy organization. So they were they were literally LARPing. <laughs> they were LARPing! They were LARPing. These are like Birth people who... These are these were the first version of people who didn't get that Thanos was the bad guy. That's who the fucking second clan is. 
Like, instead of the glove, it's, instead of the Infinity Gauntlet, they have the white hood. It's exactly so, fucking sorry. that. Are, are, you, are you telling me? No, no, I mean based on the movie. So, the like, literally, um, the original clan was sort of found in, in the vein of, like, fraternal organizations like the Masons, yeah. although they but did it in an intentionally Masons. mocking way. That's why they did the stupid names and yeah. stuff. Well, yeah. Um, and although they wore the pointed hats, which are a version of the Spanish capirote, Hood? That's correct. I'm saying that yeah. correctly. I'm 100% Spani- the sure. Spanish, the Spanish ones are more colorful generally than the... Well, that was what the original ones were. They didn't wear oh, white. Really? The first clan did not wear white. That was an invention of the movie. Um, and the stories about dressing in white to look like ghosts to scare newly freed blacks, like, yeah, they dressed in weird outfits to scare them, but they didn't wear white. Uh, white, if you might recall, was m- very expensive way mm-hmm. back in the day. Yeah. Uh, because you had to keep it clean. So, you know, um, it was just much much more likely it would be, you know, a darkly colored uh, cloth of some kind they would be wearing. Yeah. Um, also, they didn't burn crosses in the original clan. That also came from the movie. Oh, okay. And in the movie, crosses were burned to use as signals. They weren't actually burned, you know, as like a ritual like they, they do yeah. now or in the second clan. So a lot of that stuff sort of comes from uh, the movie, literally comes from okay. the movie. So it's they were literally, literally fucking fanboying racism. Like, li- like, they were fanboying, yes. They, but literally. So, so <laughs> no, you, how many I times know. have you done that and actually accidentally been on point? <laughs> yeah, I need to stop. My brain is just like, that would be the most ridiculous thing. Oh, okay, that's it. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so hold on. Let, let me just, okay. Are you saying that the, the 1915 re-rise of the clan happened because mm-hmm. of Birth of a Nation? Or was there a different... Yes. Literally, that's uh, it. So or is there another trigger he, there? So the, the the play and the book were also popular, right? The, the book came out in 1905. Yeah. The play several years later. And then the movie. And there was also a previous movie that wasn't as popular as Birth of a Nation about the book. So this was like... This is a big thing. It, it was like, you know, phase one of the Marvel movies. Like, I, I'm making that in comparison on Perfulous just to give you an idea of, like, the popularity uh-huh. of this thing. And this movie was... The biggest movie. They played right? at the White House. Birth of a Nation. Famously. That's why we hate Woodrow Wilson. Famously in the White House. It was three hours long. Rather than other movies at the time, which were like short clips and, and things, this was That's built to be a three-hour epic. Yeah, it was an epic. Like, And they, they charged more. They sent people out. And the clan would go and wear you know their outfits and ride horses to promote the movie because they recognized the movie was also a recruiting tool for them. Mm. So it all tied in together. I do not think they would have been as large or as popular without the movie. Definitely. But the cultural movement was already obviously there based on the popularity that the book and the play and all that other stuff had. So the second clan was undoubtedly the largest incarnation of the clan, uh, with its highest numbers peaking between three to eight million members. We don't have an exact count, but that's the best estimates. There's a lot of people. You know, with supporters who don't officially join but support them, obviously numbering even more. This clan had an ag- expanded agenda from the first, being about more than just putting down freed slaves and fighting northern aggression in the post-war South. Uh, it also preached a doctrine of, quote, 100% Americanism and Let a strict morality what they made code. meant by that. Make America grand again. And a strict morality code with an obviously conservative bent. So it opposed Jews, Catholics, black people, uh, immigrants from southern and eastern Europe, um, and obviously these were popular and prevalent attitudes at the time, right? And of course, the same attitudes that eventually gave rise to Hitler in Germany, right? It's not like they were out of the ordinary with this sort of thing. Yeah, and I mean, to give, uh, to give Dinesh D'Souza credit, um, mm-hmm. American 
race science, eugenics, whatever, were an inspiration Heavily for influenced Hitler. the yeah. Nazis. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you can say the inspiration for Hitler. Well, I feel like that was yeah, may, may, his, his dad got turned may, on. Maybe. And that, that's the inspiration, inspiration for Hitler. for uh, some of Hitler's <laughs> views on race and eugenics. Yes. Yes, yes that's more accurate. Or uh, at, uh, least, this clan... at least an excuse given by... Mm-hmm. Yeah. This clan was also much more active as sort of a business organization and multi-level marketing scheme and this sort of fun, wacky stuff that if you want to hear about, I think Behind the Bastards did a great episode on sort of the multi-level marketing stuff they do in the mm-hmm. clan. I'll try and find that and link it in the show notes. Uh, but it faded out in the 1940s, really, because of internal division and external opposition. Uh, you'll probably remember the famous story of Superman radio broadcast being used to show how dumb the Klan was and build opposition. Strategies like that worked, I although that I will say that the second Klan was already fading in 1946 at the time of those broadcasts. I don't know that story. Can you tell me it? Oh, uh, th- so the they used, literally, there was a radio play of Superman. Okay. And they used it, su- Superman, basically Superman fought the uh-huh. Klan. That's all okay. you need to know about it. Superman fought the Klan. And they like gave out like all the codes that they used and the names that they had for their people like claverns and uh grand wizards and all that stuff that sounds really stupid and it made them look like the joke that they actually were right and that's not to say that they're you know it was a violent incarnation of the clan obviously you get a lot of lynchings and violent activities around this time but i think the clan that's known more for its violence because of i think the way they went about it more is the third Mm. clan and the third clan is the name given to the clan as it operated and existed in the civil rights era uh, on through to today. And while it was smaller than the previous clan, the third clan was much more aggressive in t- carrying out sort of terrorist these, acts than these, previously. Was there, again, like you said, there was a finite end to the first, uh, sorry, a defined end. The first, to the there first was a finite one. end to. The second uh, one is Forrester supposedly plan. gave an order to disband. Okay. There, was no, there was no finite end to the second okay. one. So it just sort of is, faded. Is the third Small one groups went an around. Offshoot of the second one, then, or is, is the like, third one comes out of like the, the real IRA they had gone, and the IRA? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They had gone dormant for a while, and then when civil rights hits, all of a sudden these clan groups get an influx of you know people who want to be organized and work against civil rights, and they're looking for organizations that have sort of you know a, a reputation in that area. And of course, the clan is is going to mm-hmm. come out and and show their power in that area. Um, they were more aggressive in carrying out sort of terrorist acts. I think the the bombings mm-hmm. are what everyone thinks of. Uh, the you know arsons and bombings. I think so that's why people think of it. Bombings and yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, it, they were more aggressively focused on well, <laughs> rhetorically on anti-communism than the earlier clans, and less focused on anti catholicism Often associated black people with communists. Right. As, We've yeah. heard plenty of people from this era equating civil rights with communism mm-hmm. because that was the rhetorical trick they used to not sound racist while being mm-hmm. racist. Um, the Klan was responsible for still unknown numbers of terrorist attacks across the South, including notoriously the 16th Street Baptist Church b- mm-hmm. bombing in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, uh, the murder of Medgar Evers, numerous lynchings, and the fire bombings of at least 40 homes of Southern families, mm-hmm. black Southern families. And this is the clan that still exists today in much smaller numbers, with membership estimates rating between three to 8,000 today, which is much smaller. Much smaller <laughs> than three to 8 million, yes. Yeah. 
And like I said, I mean, they like to scream about communism a lot, as well as their hatred of members of the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. Um, and in more modern days, uh, you know, this this group of people really hates trans people. Cool. Uh, really, really not fans. Uh, I think more likely they're, you know, following a trend that we've seen. Yeah. Uh, it's not like they... Really easy to recruit people based on, on, on the, the hating cu- of the, the current thing. Yeah, and if you listen to these sort of people today um, in their own spaces, there's little difference between them and the Republican Party platform basics, except for, like, the number of slurs they use and what they call, quote-unquote, naming the Jew. Oh. Right? Nazis are always noting that people like Alex Jones and Tucker Carlson are saying the same things as them, but they don't say that it's the Jews who are responsible right. for all of it. Right. Chris Cantwell, who we've talked about before, uh, organizer of Charlottesville and uh, the Crying Nazi, uh, before he was imprisoned, had his own podcast. Uh, and he would play Tucker Carlson clips on his podcast and just basically, like, yell Jews whenever Tucker Carlson named someone that's supposedly bad or, you know, vaguely hinted at some group being responsible for something. Did you read the, He fucking um, loved Tucker did Carlson. Did you read the New York Times thing on, on Tucker Carlson? I did. I think it's outstanding. Yeah. I think they should have just titled it White uh, Nationalist rather than American Nationalist. That's my... One of my criticisms yeah. of it. Can um, you link that in the show notes? I think they did I a decent job. I think it's definitely worth people reading. I, I will yeah. link it in the show notes. Uh, the uh, Daily Stormer, by the way, the neo-Nazi website, also loves Tucker Carlson. Of um, Andrew Anglin, who runs that shithole rag, has called Tucker a, quote, machine of ultimate destruction and a, quote, one-man holocaust. Mm. Uh, and, of course, to him, as opposed to us, a holocaust is a good thing. So that's context for that a 2018 analysis by buzzfeed actually found that tucker was featured on the daily stormer 265 times from 2016 to 2018 like they clipped his videos for positive reasons yes they clipped his videos and put them on uh and in case you're other in case you're wondering other fox news hosts uh sean hannity was featured 27 times laura ingram four times and lou dobbs just twice they fucking love Tucker Carlson. And just to drive the point home, here are a few of the titles. And if you are, uh, if racist language bothers you, skip ahead about a minute, all right? Uh, one was titled, Tucker Rapes and Impregnates, all capitalized, Crazy-Eyed Whore in College Campus Cry Closet. Another was titled, Tucker Fills Liberal K-Slur for Jewish People with Lead for Demanding Gun Control. And the last one, Tucker Carlson forces fat B word for Hispanic people, whore, to choke to death on greasy tacos. That's the kind of thing they wrote because they fucking love Tucker. That they fucking love Tucker. That I cannot emphasize that enough. They fucking love Tucker mm-hmm. Carlson. Like and I think we all know why, right? And it is because Tucker Carlson is just a white nationalist. Yeah. That's just what read he the, is. Read and the I mean, New York Times piece. It'll do a better it. better job than we can in the time available to us here. Yeah. And uh, uh, I think a little bit later, if we have time, I do have a clip from Tucker Carlson, uh, which they quoted uh, in uh, their white supremacist spaces, uh, talking about the Great Replacement, mm-hmm. which is, of course, a white supremacist conspiracy theory. So if we have time, we'll get to that. Uh, Stormfront, also unsurprisingly, really loved Ron Paul. 
especially when the racist newsletters came out. And I'll link to an article in The Atlantic that talks about that in the show notes. Uh, you can also, by the way, find a photo of Ron Paul with Don Black, who we talked about on a previous episode, uh, founder of Stormfront, which isn't damning in and of itself. Because, you know, photos, plenty anyone of people can take, take photos with anyone. I yeah. don't recognize yeah, do any motherfucker. Like, if someone was like, can I take a photo with you? I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> but I think we know enough about Ron Paul to not give him the benefit of the doubt anymore. Eh. I, I really think I we think, do at I this point. I think with photos, you always have to give the benefit of the doubt. Unless it's someone nah. in, like, a literal Hitler costume. You have, like... <laughs> <laughs> a British prince. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the clan definitely wasn't doing its thing it's on its own, how right? Harry and... is the beloved royal now, having dressed as a Nazi. <laughs> That's a weird one. It's kind of fucked up. Uh, in the midst of the desegregation of cities and public spaces and schools, organizations called citizens' councils sprung up all across the South. Uh, more accurately called white citizens. Okay, where councils. are we in the timeline again? You've lost me. You jumped forward to We're, we're back in okay, the civil okay, rights okay. era. We're in the civil rights era. Um, these were pro-segregationist organizations that had the veneer of more respectability than the Klan. Um, they were heavily involved in intimidating real estate agents. Where have we seen agents. that before? <laughs> intimidating real estate agents not to sell to non-whites in white areas. Which, of course... Of course, opposing schools to desegregation. We... <laughs> That's not the only reason why black people couldn't get on the housing, into the, the housing market. The government mm-hmm. did that. Yeah. Also, with, with redlining. Like, let's and I was it. just about to suggest, if you want more, I recommend Kevin Cruz's book, White Flight, uh, which talks a lot about the activities of citizens' councils as well as all the activities uh, that were aimed at keeping white neighborhoods white around that time. His book focuses on uh, what happened in Atlanta uh, around that time. Uh, but these groups belong to an umbrella organization called Citizens' Councils of wait, America. I have, a, I have a book recommendation. Hold on. Oh, oh, Really? Benedict has a book recommendation. Oh, please. Is it White Flight? Because that's the same fucking book. Ah, <laughs> uh, well. Ah, uh, yeah, I've heard that one before. I haven't the read Color it, of Law by Richard Rothstein is a, is a good book on redlining and the origins. I'm just leaving that all in. Okay, it's all that's staying fine. in the show. None of it's coming out. Uh, I'm perusing my bookshelf. <laughs> But these groups belong to an umbrella organization called Citizens Councils of America uh, and faded into irrelevance in the 1970s, right, because desegregation laws and the work of activists sort of made their efforts moot. But they didn't disappear entirely, though, because in 1985, an organization called the Council of Conservative Citizens was founded Mm. in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, And to build their organization... They used the mailing list of the Citizens' Councils of America. Yeah. By the way, uh, white supremacist Jared Taylor of American Renaissance and numerous other groups he's a part of is currently the spokesman for the group, and Canadian neo-Nazi Paul Fromm is its international director. And in another particularly horrible note, Dylan Roof, the white supremacist who murdered nine people in a Charleston church, wrote in the manifesto on his website, The Last Rhodesian, that the murder of Trayvon Martin prompted him to search for black-on-white crime in Google, which led him to the Council of Conservative Citizens website, and that he had never been the same since that day. Sorry, the murder of Trayvon Martin led him to search for black-on-white crime? Yeah. That's a weird well, he connection was, in one's brain. He was probably already in that space. Yeah. Where, I, Well, if you, if you even just watched Fox News at that time, 
you were getting all of the pundits nonstop all day talking about black on white crime. Mm-hmm. Right? Fucking Breitbart had a black crime section on their website at one yeah. point. It's, you yeah, know, th- this mean, is just mainstreaming white supremacy. Right. And the use of innocuous sounding organizations like this to promote white supremacy is nothing new and not Trump, uncommon. Um, Trump floated the, I don't know if they ever did it, but Trump floated the idea of having a, an illegal... Uh, the Im- uh, yeah. Uh, uh, an, yeah. They called it an illegal immigrant crime section, obviously undocumented people. Um, yeah, it would have just been anyone with a Mexican-sounding name yeah. to them that they put on that yeah. list. That's that's what it would have been. They, they never did that, <laughs> no right? They, they, like, floated it. No, I don't think they... Well, maybe they did. They probably I had just internal tend stuff, to remember. Definitely did. That. I do, sir. I do remember some of their fucking fundraising emails that might have had some of that yeah. shit in it. Might have been like, "Here's the immigrant crime of the week" or yeah. some shit. I do seem to remember because I still get all those fundraising Trump emails just to see, like I always say, what my parents That's are reading. Not good. Um, but of course, we know a lot of Klan members or supporters made it big in U.S. politics throughout our history. Uh, probably the most prominent and the one we hear the most about, certainly with the people we deal with, is Robert Byrd. Mm-hmm. Uh, Byrd was a Klan recruiter in the 1920s and 1930s and did filibuster the 1964 Civil Rights Act along with Strom Thurmond. However, good company. The part always left out whenever we hear about Byrd from one of our menagerie is how he substantially changed his position over his lifetime. Uh, In the 1970s, he renounced his views on segregation. Uh, And in 1983, he told his staff that he was the only one in the Senate who must vote for the bill that created the Martin Luther King Day holiday. Uh, And then later in 2005, he proposed an additional $10 million in funding for the MLK Memorial in D.C. And, you know, he still exhibited some of the old man racism that's born more of tradition than intent, I think. Like a 2001 interview where, in inartfully, to be, you know, uh, the most generous possible, discussing his racial views, he tried to explain that the reason he had been able to move past Uh, his racist past, was because of how his mom would say that you can't go to heaven if you hate anybody. And he used the phrase white N-words to try to get across the point that there are bad people of every color. Oh, no, that's not good. No, No. I am strongly... Not good. Not good. Not good. I have a strongly visceral reaction to that, yeah. By the time he died in 2010, uh, the NAACP pointed out that he had been one of their top supporters in the Senate, and was praised for, over the course of his life, eventually becoming a champion on civil rights. Okay. Uh, but listen to a Republican, and they'll just point out the name of anyone on the left who was at his funeral. Joe Biden. And, or, or said a eulogy they, for they him. Were, yeah, they were all up in know, Joe Biden's right? business. For... <laughs> As was the head of the NAACP. <laughs> because, like I said, there's a whole story there they don't want to pay attention yeah. to. But Benedict, how do you feel about Nazis? Oh, bad. Actively bad. <laughs> I do not like Nazis. Feels like it took you a second to come up with that, Benedict. Were you thinking? Yeah, Do you have to I, think I about was it? Trying to think of a... <laughs> Were you at Robert Byrd's funeral? <laughs> I was trying to think of a better word than bad, but then my brain was just like, you have to say something. Not yeah, bad. Just bad. Bad's yeah, the thing to say. Go, say something. I will say, Benedict, hate in the United States might be one of the few areas where the right actually believes in intersectionality. Mm. Uh, many of these groups have incredible levels of crossover with other hate groups. And of course, they all hate so many categories of people. It's just the the intersectionality is is really amazing. Staggering, staggering. Staggering. Uh, The American Nazi movement could be said to begin with the German American Bund, an organization founded in 1936 at the direct order and approval of Rudolf Hess. 
Um, they ran training camps in the U.S. and promoted the interests of the Nazi Party in the U.S. The act, you know, the real, you know, the, the, the actual, Hitler one, the, the, that the, Nazi the Party. Nazi Party. Yeah, yeah. And the most well-known and notorious Bund activity was the 1939 Madison Square Garden mm-hmm. rally, uh, which attracted, I think, an estimated 20,000 people, which I think is still far below the capacity of Madison Square Garden. Isn't it like 40,000? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't um, know if it was huge then, but eh, possible they could did have. Did anyone come and then. yell at them? Uh, well, I don't know about yelling at them, but at that event, uh, the leader of the Bund, Gerhard Wilhelm Kunz, uh, or actually, I think he was the uh, the PR officer, criticized uh, FDR by calling him Frank, just just Frank Roosevelt. I guess that was an insult, sure. Frank, uh, and calling the New Deal the Jew Deal. Great. Uh, as well as calling U.S. Re- leaders re- Bolshevik Jews. Really the Mark Levin of our time. I know, wasn't he? Uh, they sort of faded out shortly after in the midst of that whole war thingamajig that happened. That that was a thing, and, you know, they weren't quite the most popular group around that time. And post-World War II, you can imagine, American Nazis were not particularly popular either, yeah, given that like so a, many people feel, in the U.S. Yeah, feels like not a... had just been involved in the war against yeah. them. And the world knew about the Holocaust at that point, right? So in that uh, period following World War II, the biggest name in the town for extremism was the Klan, Mm. right? But other I mean, there were certainly small groups that still existed. Anti-Semitism didn't go away. Nazism didn't go away. They just went into hiding. Rebrands. Yeah. But other than those small groups, in 1959, what is now the most well-known American Nazi group was formed. George Lincoln Rockwell's American Nazi Mm -hmm. Party. And it's not surprising that an American Nazi group would pop up, right? Anti-Semitism, homophobia, bigotry, they never went away. They just became momentarily inappropriate to express them. Mm -hmm. And by the early to mid-60s, Rockwell had achieved some fame and got some money from paid speaking engagements he did on college campuses. (coughs) Spencer! Which led him to try and keep growing. And the years 1965 to 1967 were probably his peak. In 1966, I love this, he was actually interviewed by Alex Haley, oh. the author of Roots, of all people, for Playboy magazine. Yeah. Seems weird. Seems what weird to me. About? Uh, it was just about being a Nazi. Oh, okay. so it was it's still available. Okay, you can go yeah. read it. You can go read it. It's just like... It's uh, it's weird, man. It's weird. Uh, but around that point, he had about 500 official members of the he, Nazi he party. He murdered, right? We're getting okay, to I'm it. Just, Don't I'm ruin sorry, the good I'm part. Just, I, like, <laughs> sorry, for, they undo the snap the at the end, Benedict. They undo the snap okay. at the end. Uh, he tried to go mainstream at that point with a name change from American Nazi Party to, quote, National Socialist White People's Party. Ooh, really, really not... <laughs> Branding it the correct, like, yeah. <laughs> that's so great. And they, of course, got rid of the swastika as their that's, official logo. Yeah, you know, like I t- I'm telling you, they've tried. I mean, it's a really bad attempt at a rebrand, but it's Marketing a rebrand nonetheless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are talking about Nazis. Yeah, I mean, come no, on, not not too many brain cells between them. But of course, it ended. Some would say, in the best way, a Nazi party can end. With somebody being shot. Um, Rockwell took a bullet to the heart, fired by a member that he had expelled from the Nazi party for trying to inject Marxist economic ideas into the party's So you're teachings. telling me that the Nazis were socialists. <laughs> but Benedict, don't you know what it stands yeah. for? 
<laughs> I love that so much. I love wow. that so, so, so much. I mean, it just uh, uh, after he died, um, there hasn't been a single solid organization to to lead the Nazis. Many have tried to become sort of the primary like organization. Like just uh, no, like Coolio, like, no, yeah. I mean, his second in command, uh, Matt Cool, tried to take command and do another rebrand as New Order this time, which gives me Wolfenstein feels every time. All the, the gamers out there know what I'm talking about. Um, that organization still exists, as a matter of fact. And New Order's chief of staff, Martin, Cl- Martin Kerr, claims that the group is no longer a white supremacist one and focuses on advocating, quote, in favor of white people, not against other races or ethnicities, dot, dot, dot. We consider the white people of the world to be a gigantic family of racial brothers and sisters, united by ties of common ancestry and common heritage. Being for our own family does not mean that we hate other families, except that you're fucking Nazis and you do. So, I'm not going to take him at his word, given that I know the things New Order does. Uh, Once you get past the period where the Klan and the Nazi party had any significant centralized control... You get into a time in which white power becomes more diffuse, all right, and harder to con- more harder to follow. There's a lot more blending going on. Um, the 70s to 2000s saw a number of hate groups associated with white power, but few were able to garner significant numbers. Um, the, the American Nazi Party that Rockwell had created was an inspiration or an origination point for a good number of American far-right figures and groups, right? David Duke was a huge fan of Rockwell, to the extent that when Duke learned of Rockwell's death while he was still in high school, he said, quote, the greatest American who ever lived has been shot down and killed. Mm-hmm. David Duke. That's not, That's David not Duke, good. Um, didn't Rockwell quote it? It, it? I always find it interesting when like Rockwell was quoting like Elijah Muhammad and um, Mark oh, yeah. X. Like, well, because... Yeah, yeah. No, I know, and I think I know it's disingenuous, it's in, disingenuous in ways. Quote, but. Very disingenuous because he's like, look, these black people, they're also all about separatism yeah, and being yeah. apart from us. So why is it wrong that we're saying that we should kill all them? Right? It's that kind of bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and David Duke, right, by the way, is one of the guys that ties a lot of these figures and groups together. Uh, he is both a Nazi and a Klansman. He has toes in both yeah. camps. He founded his own organization, the Knights of the Ku Klux Klan, in 1974 as sort of a new, more respectable clan that didn't hate Catholics. Probably has something to do with his Nazi roots and Nazi-Catholic connections, of course. Uh, but he also did some politicking. Uh, he ran for the Louisiana State Senate as a Democrat in 1975 and lost. Uh, then in 1979 and lost. Then in 1990 or 1988, uh, switched his party registration to Republican and won yeah. that time. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he also ran for president multiple times and, of course, joined the Reform Party when Ronald Reagan advisor and neo-Nazi Pat Buchanan was that party's nominee. Mm-hmm. And he moved into to Russia in 1999 and lived there for about five years. I wonder why. Mm. Um, he's not the only Nazi to run in American elections, of course, or to see some success. Uh, in 1975, Ger- Gerald R. Carlson, a member of the National Socialist White People's Party, won the Republican nomination for a Michigan congressional seat and managed to get 32% of the vote. I will give some credit to people not knowing or paying enough attention to know that he was a Nazi. Yep. But that is still a disturbingly high percentage of the vote for him to have gotten. Yeah, it's not... Disturbingly high. It's not good. Yeah. Uh, In 1974, the National Alliance was founded by William Luther Pierce. And of course, our boy, Revilo P. Oliver, was a founding board member. (laughs) 
Right. I'll never get over the fact that you pointed out to me in the middle of a show that I had not noticed that Ravilo is Oliver Beckert. <laughs> That's one of my favorite things ever. That's just how my brain works, unfortunately. It just like finds yeah. patterns and things. <laughs> uh, William Luther Pierce is a fascinating character as far as a case study goes. He actually had a PhD in physics oh, that he got from the University of Colorado Boulder in 1962. And as I always say, I think PhDs were probably easier to get back then. <laughs> You know, whatever. Uh, but he first joined the John Birch Society in 1962, but eventually resigned because they didn't talk enough about race issues for his liking. And in 1966, he moved to Washington, D.C. and joined Rockwell's Nazi Party. And then after Rockwell was killed, like a Nazi should be, uh, he kicked around for a while, uh, going to a group called Youth for Wallace, Wallace being the segregationist governor of Alabama, who was running for president at the time. Uh, and there he worked and feuded with a man named Willis Cardo, where they reconfigured the group and turned it into an organization called the Youth Alliance. Uh, they pro- they fought primarily over the mailing list for Cardo's organization, Liberty Lobby, uh, an organization uh, that I think had been around for about 20 years at that point. So Ravilo P. Oliver and Willis Cardo split off and formed the National Alliance. Cool. Or, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Ravilo P. Oliver and uh, 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 William Luther Pierce, mm-hmm. not Cardo. Um he intended it to be the premier white supremacist organization in the country and hosted a weekly radio show called American Dissident Voices, which is, by the way, uh, the radio show that Pat Buchanan cited as a source oh, in his book, Death of the West. We have to do some... You see how it all ties together? To some, it all ties together to so many Pat times. At some point. I just bought uh, Death of the West. Okay. I just bought it a few weeks ago, used. I will never... You know, I, whenever I can avoid it, I never pay uh, for a new copy or anything they're going to be getting money of. Uh, also, which brings us to the it, fact it, that the National Alliance, um, uh, William Luther Pierce, is the author of the book The Turner Diaries oh, yeah. and the related novel Hunter, which Benedict knows I own one of those yeah. two and is upset in, that I own in, one of those in, two. Just, I just want to say in my head, I don't know why. I think just because like they kind of look a little similar, but. Um, Pat Buchanan and um, what's his name? The guy that Ruben is was on. Oh God, what's his name? Oh God, you're talking about Dennis yeah, Prager? Merged into one person in my head, <laughs> and I know they're not realistically. They're just two fat yeah, white guys. They don't look no, that I similar. Know, I, I know that. Like logically, I know that, but in my head, they're the same person. <laughs> Uh, but you know, uh, like I said, I own the Turner Diaries, um, and I have to say, even if you're interested in this area and this research like I am, do not buy a copy unless you find it used. To this day, it is still published by the National Alliance. So if you buy it new from somewhere, you will be giving money to literal neo-Nazis. Yeah, don't do that. It's a fact I was unaware of when I bought it from major retailer Books a Million, who I naively believed would not have a distribution deal with fucking so Nazis. So you have supported Nazis, is what you're saying. Unfortunately, in a way I am still very angry about, I gave them $14. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'm still pissed about that. It has a stamp inside of the cover with their fucking contact That's info. It's just... Upsetting. We're going to talk more about those books at a future date, uh, but for now it's enough to say that Hunter and the Turner Diaries are the two most popular white supremacist and far-right extremist books out there, the other probably being Siege, uh, which came up, I think, two weeks ago because one of the people involved in that group, Ron Paul, spoke to mentioned mm. it. 
Um, the Turner Diaries and Hunter unquestionably inspired the murder of hundreds, if not more, with the most notable single event being Timothy McVeigh's Oklahoma yeah, City bombing. I mean, that, that's hundreds uh, on its own. Like, Yeah. When he was arrested, there was a copy of the Turner Diaries in his car. Uh, and in the book, uh, it begins with a bombing of the FBI headquarters, yeah. right? But like all Nazis, McVeigh was just a sad shadow of his ideal and had to settle for a federal building in Oklahoma City rather than the FBI headquarters. Um, Let's maybe not challenge so people gonna... to do the real thing. Like, <laughs> oh, It's not the way I intended yeah. it and not the way you should take it. Um, Willis Cardo, who I mentioned a little bit ago, uh, is another prominent white supremacist in American history. Uh, he founded the Liberty Lobby in 1955, which remained in existence until 2001 when lawsuits forced it into bankruptcy. And ironically, the lawsuit that forced it into bankruptcy was against another organization that he himself founded called the Institute for Historical Review, which we'll talk about in a moment. Uh, the Liberty Lobby published a newspaper called The Spotlight from 1975 until their bankruptcy in 2001. And of course, that newspaper gave positive coverage to the political campaigns of both David Duke and Pat Buchanan. Yeah, cool. it's great. Uh, and in case you think, Kevin, you call everyone Nazis. They can't all be actual Nazis. Here's a quote from Willis Cardo. I'm a Nazi. <laughs> quote, Hitler's defeat was the defeat of Europe and of America. How could we have been Sorry. so blind? The blame, it seems, must be laid at the door of the international Jews. Mm. It was their propaganda, lies, and demands which blinded the West to what Germany was doing. If Satan himself, with all of his superhuman genius and diabolical ingenuity at his command, had tried to create a permanent disintegration and force for the disruption of the nations, he would have done no better than to invent the Jews. Cool. Yeah, that's Willis yep. Cardo. And as I said, he also founded an organization named the Institute for Historical Review. Benedict, do you have any idea which history it was they wanted to review? Whether the Civil War was a good thing? Close! Whether the Holocaust yeah, actually okay. happened. Yeah, that makes sense, too. Yeah, yeah. He founded it along with the former leader of the UK National Front, David McCalvin, mm. uh, a.k.a. Lewis Brandon. These people, so many of them have fucking pseudonyms because they have to hide their real identity because they're fucking Nazis. Um, and it exists to put a respectable veneer on Holocaust denial, right? That, that's what it's all about. And Ron Paul, of course, has reportedly appeared on radio programs run by Willis Cardo, hosted by a Nazi named James Edwards. And I say reported because nobody seems to have a recording of the show that he appeared on. And the host, when called on it, I think it was when Paul was running for president the first time, uh, claimed that Paul had to catch an emergency flight and they had to reschedule, mm -hmm. but the appearance never actually happened. Um, he also claimed that it was Jesse Benton who booked the appearance. And the whole thing to me reads like him giving intentional cover to Ron Paul because they really like Ron Paul. Nazis like Ron Paul. But then, Benedict, if you've ever heard the name Regnery, uh, it's probably because, like you and I, uh, they're a broken human being who buys and reads these horrible mm. books that we often do. But what you should think when you hear the name Regnery is, of course, white supremacy. Uh, Regnery Publishing was founded in 1947 by Henry Regnery to intentionally publish conservative tomes. Uh, the first book it published was In Darkest Germany by a socialist named Victor Galanks. Okay. That's how I'm pronouncing it. Who was critical of the bombing of German population areas late in the war. Fair enough. It seems pretty innocuous, yeah. right? Then published a book called The Hitler in Ourselves by Max Picard, 
which I was unable to find a review of, but is cited by Foreign Affairs as, quote, A physician and philosopher finds the seed of Nazism implanted in every country and society, waiting to be fertilized by the spiritual malaise that gave birth to Hitler. Yeah, I, like, and, I hear that, and I'm just like, what's next in the series find your inner Pol Pot like several yeah. other books critical of the allies treatment of the yeah, Germans that's what's next sense. that's what's next then Benedict in the 1950s they published God and Man at Yale oh, by William F. Buckley Jr. <laughs> okay followed up by McCarthy and His mm-hmm. Enemies by William F. Buckley and the fascist Brent so they, Bozell they Jr. they became a Buckley publishing house then. Well, they also published two books by uh, Robert Welch, founder of the John Birch cool. Society. And of course, they are the ones who agreed to publish Josh Hawley's book after the January Great. 6th events. Very good. <laughs> so really just an all-around good guys. Good yeah. guys. Good guys. Uh, they also published two conservative periodicals uh, throughout their history. Human Events, uh, which published Pat Buchanan and Murray Rothbard pieces, as well as endorsing apartheid South Africa and describing Mandela as the main obstacle to peace in that country. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, they literally just hired Jack Posobiec as Great. an editor. Great, great. <laughs> Pizzagate Jack is is bringing his stuff to human events. Definitely do. Oh, and I should have made like a Willis Cardo. I didn't even mention it, but he ran um uh, uh, uh he had his own uh, newspaper connected to Liberty, Liberty Library called Spotlight. Um, and that was, or was it spot. Yeah, it's, I think it's Spotlight. Not uh, I'm thinking of the Spectator is the one I always confuse it with, which is a British uh, rag. Uh, but Spotlight which was published by Willis Carto, is one that Big Jim Tucker worked at. We've talked about uh, Big Jim Tucker, I think, once or twice. He's the guy who was with, um, he's featured in the book Them by John mm-hmm. Ronson uh, because he you know, got the names of people who were at the Bilderberg Group and stuff like that. He's also a close friend of Alex Jones um, who participated with him on a number of things throughout the years, is featured in many of Alex Jones's documentaries, and of course is a raving anti-Semite mm-hmm. because that's the kind of person that Willis Cardo would hire. So more connections upon connections there. Um, the American Spectator was another one of these that it did, uh, which was nearly driven to bankruptcy for witness tampering in the Clinton Whitewater investigation and was involved with far-right billionaire Richard Mellon Scaife in his Arkansas project, which was a very intentional effort to smear the Clintons with conspiracy theories. If you hear about the Clinton body count stuff, that's a lot of that ties back to Richard Mellon Scaife uh, and his Arkansas project. Right. Um, and it also employed white supremacist Patrick Howley, who we've talked about before on this show, and who just the other day, literally as we're sitting here recording, had a Twitter spat over a, apparently a black man hosting the Country Music Awards. I, I don't watch the Country yeah, Music I mean, Awards. I have no idea. But he was apparently mad and said something about they should stick to their hip hop or okay. some shit like that. Oh, and he was at neo-Nazi Nick Fuentes' American First Pack event with Marjorie Taylor Greene and the rest of the white supremacist squad. Uh, And in the modern day, uh, Regnery Publishing, who I have to say, you and I have spent upwards of $100 buying books from. Stop saying this out loud. You don't have (laughs) to tell people. So many of the books we bought. Fennec, so many of the books we bought come from Regnery. Um, They publish books by uh, the Babylon Bee, such as... The Babylon Bee Guide to Wokeness, okay. which I'm sure is hilarious. I'm so yeah. sure it's hilarious. Uh, books by pseudo-historian and young earth creationist David Barton. Okay. Uh, Patrick Buchanan, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeb, 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 exclamation point. Jeb, 
Yeah, they published his. Um, Mark Furman, the racist cop from the OJ trial. Perfect. Who, let's be honest, is the reason OJ got off, because he had hours of tapes filled with racial slurs. Uh, Ted Cruz, Ann Coulter, Dinesh D'Souza, Sebastian Gorka, convicted felon oh, and pedophile God. and former Speaker of the House, Dennis Hastert. Uh, anti-Muslim extremist David Horowitz, Mark Levin, Ron Paul, you get the idea. Yeah. <laughs> Would it surprise you to learn Henry Regnery was a member of the America First Committee no, in the 1930s? That wouldn't surprise the anti-interventionist organization that harbored a bunch of pro-Hitler fascists. And uh, somewhat unsurprisingly, the trend appears to have continued mm-hmm. in his family. Uh, with his nephew, William Regnery II, who ran the publishing company for about 15 months in the 1980s, uh, and would go on to be one of the prime funders of white supremacist activity across the United States. He founded the Charles Martel Society in 2001, which publishes the premier scientific racialism journal in existence, also the only (laughs) scientific racialism journal in existence, the Occidental Quarterly. Do you know who Charles Martel is, by the way? I'm sure you're going to tell me. I figured if anyone knew it would be you, so I wouldn't have to write it in my notes. He was like uh, uh, some, you know, like 15th century general who fought the the uh, Muslims. Oh, that or Charles Martel. I, okay. That Charles Martel. <laughs> okay, I just have to give you that much description. <laughs> yes, Benedict. That Charles wow. Martel. <laughs> okay. Yeah, he uh, he was one of. I I figured if yeah, anyone would know, it no, would be you. Still, he, I know he, your he background. Was the, he was one of the um. Yeah, it was, it was the Martel's hammer. He he stopped the Muslim invasion of Europe for the. <laughs> he stopped them at basically at the Pyrenees. Um, the yeah. Caliphate's invasion. Yeah, 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 okay. And do you think it's any? Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you think it's any um uh coincidence that he founded that organization in two thousand one? No, no. Sorry. No, I, I the the other thing is it bad that I didn't clock that because in my head it's always been Charles Martel <laughs> <laughs> no that's just yeah. nerdy as shit is what that is <laughs> you fucking language yeah. nerd <laughs> um but uh, the Occidental Quarterly, uh, this journal that he has, uh, it's it's just pretending to be academic for neo Nazis. That's all it is. It literally has it publishes articles arguing that whites are racially superior, pretending they're doing science and all that sort of stuff. Oh, and in two thousand four, uh, Mr. Regnery, uh, William Regnery the second, announced his intention to start an all white dating service. Okay. And according to Newsweek, uh, wrote to his readers that he came up the idea with the idea quote. Since the survival of our race depends upon our people marrying, reproducing, and parenting. And then Benedict, in 2005, he founded the National Policy Institute. Simple sounding name, right? Yeah. NPI. Sounds very innocuous. Very very acronyms. Very innocuous. Um, In 2011, he hired Richard Spencer to run the National Policy Institute. Could have seen that coming in my It is the place that brought Richard Spencer into the forefront. That is why we even know who the fuck he is. And as recently as 2020, he's still running it. I can't tell. Uh, but basically, you know, without William Regnery II, we wouldn't have a video of a Nazi getting punched while trying to explain Pepe the Frog to a hipster. We might. There's, there so, could be an alternate timeline where that still it's happens. It's still possible. <laughs> but then, like all good Nazis, he died in 2021. Benedict! That is um, 
I, you know, I, I think I had joy in bringing it back to Richard Spencer at the end. I think just because I started yeah, our I think last episode. Yeah, you're too, two you're too You think these payoffs are better than they are, I think. No, no. You know what it is? It's because I am so focused on the immense number of connections between yeah, all I'm these Yeah, I'm not people. sure that works super um, well in podcast form. I'm going to be honest with you. I think it's way I'm aware, too... which is why I need that wall full of red string. too much information for people to take in <laughs> and that we've gone way too long in this episode. Look, if somebody tells me like there's this free data visualization, visualization software out there that I could use, I will do that map of all of these connections and put it on our website, NYGBC pod.com by the way uh i will do that i will absolutely do that so tell me if you know where i can find that sort of thing uh but benedict to end off today's show we have a short clip okay. of uh tucker carlson saying some nazi okay. shit that's it the better only be way sure that's all this. i can say it is short it is short and the whole reason i i even included this is because when this particular monologue came out, it was, of course, you know, all over the, the racist areas of the internet. It was on Stormfront. It was on all those horrible black holes that none of us should ever visit uh, and, and I, I wish didn't exist. But it's because all he is doing, and I'll go back to what my purpose is for this whole series we're going down, is to show that um, the far fringes are now the center extremism is no longer on the edge of the conservative movement or the Republican Party. It is the core. And so Tucker Carlson is, without a doubt, to my mind, the single most powerful person in conservative politics today. And he is feeding them straight-up white supremacy by the spoonful. It's awful on every level. Everything about it is awful. And you've got to ask yourself, as you watch the historic tragedy that is Joe Biden's immigration policy, what's the point of this? Nothing about it is an accident, obviously. It's intentional. Joe Biden did it on purpose. But why? Why would a president do this to his own country? No sane first world nation opens its borders to the world, promising the poorest people on the planet that they can have endless free taxpayer-funded services if they show up and break your laws. <sighs> That's not just stupid, it's suicidal. For generations, middle-class Americans have had access to the best health care in the world, but not okay. anymore. That's over for good. Our system cannot handle this many destitute newcomers, period. Imagine what hospitals are going to look like a year from now. How about schools? What Joe Biden is doing now will change this country forever. So again, why is he doing it? Because he There's hates only one plausible answer. You're not allowed to say it out loud. CNN will attack you if you CNN. do. Social media CNN will, will shut you. you down. The Southern Poverty... And, and, and I do want to point out that the way this started, he went from a live report to reading directly from a script. Yeah, he wrote, you can he, hear that in he his wrote voice. This, yeah, he wrote this down. This was entirely yeah. planned, and it is deliberate, yeah. the words he is choosing and using. Poverty Law Center will call you dangerous. You could lose your bank account. The left will become completely unhinged and hysterical, and that's how you know it's true. They only censor... Th that point right there, I'll point out, I've, I've done this a number of times with people that we cover on our show. The, when they put so much weight upon the fact that they, whoever the they is, are criticizing us means we are right. They do that a lot. They do that a yeah. lot because it, it, it plays well for this thing because they have as i've said and as is another part of the thesis for what we're doing on the show it's about hate 
because the people you hate are the evil ones. And if they're wrong, then if you're making them angry, you must be right. Ridiculous. Answer the true things. Nobody gets in trouble for claiming the earth is flat. So it could be risky for us to explain what's actually happening here, but for once, we don't need to do that. Joe Biden himself has already done it for us. Here's Biden explaining the entire point of mass immigration back in 2015 when he was vice president. An unrelenting stream of immigration, nonstop, nonstop. Folks like me who were Caucasian of European descent for the first time in 2017 will be in an absolute minority in the United States of America, absolute minority. Fewer than 50% of the people in America from then and on will be white European stuff. That's not a bad yeah. thing. That's a, that's a source of our strength. Right. An unrelenting stream of immigration. But why? Well, Joe Biden just said it to change the racial mix of that's the country. Not that's not really what he Trump. said. It's not. It's not at all what he said. Uh, and he's also descri ascribing intent to what Joe yeah, Biden exactly. said. Joe Biden was describing a, a reality. They love to do that. They love to ascribe intent and, to a description. Right. Right. And I also point out that that whole thing where whites are becoming a minority uh, is also not uh, entirely immigration based. Right. It's the fact that if you take a white person and they, let's say, uh, uh, have a child with, with someone who, who is person. not, then you end up with someone who is considered under the standards of white supremacy to be non-white. Yeah. Um, to reduce the political power of people whose ancestors lived here we're almost and there. dramatically increase the proportion of Americans newly arrived from the third world. The third world. And then Biden went further. He said that non-white DNA is the, quote, source of That's our strength. That's not really what, again. Imagine saying that. Nope. This is the language of eugenics. Okay. It's It's horrifying. actually not but at there's all. There's a reason Biden said it. In political terms, this policy is called the Great Replacement, mm. the replacement of legacy Americans with more obedient people from far away More countries. obedient people? So he yeah. says. So that last sentence there, and I think here's the thing. A lot of people, when this happened, um, went, oh, God, it's just Tucker being racist. But for me, no, you know, being as steeped in these worlds as I am, as unfortunate as that is, I heard a couple things in that sentence that struck out to me so hard that I after went, this, oh, fuck, he's just a Nazi. Didn't they, after this, find out that there was an actual white supremacist on his writing staff? I don't remember when that happened, but yeah, Blake Neff, uh, who worked for Tucker Carlson, uh, he was the lead writer on Tucker Carlson Tonight for like a decade or something. Uh, not, a, not a decade, for as long as he had had his show. Um, he, he, Yeah, he was the white supremacist. Um, I think we've talked about him a bit in the past, and he's going to come up in a future episode of ours. So, But yeah, Blake Neff was a white supremacist who was working for, for Tucker Carlson. Uh, I don't know if he was there at this time because this is relatively. He recent resigned. That this came he out. resigned in 2020. He resigned in 2020, and I believe this was 2021, okay. right? Well, it was by, uh, when Biden yeah. was president, presumably. September 2021. But right, uh, it, it wasn't that Tucker was saying white supremacist things because he had a white supremacist working for him. He had a white supremacist working for him because he's a white supremacist. Mm -hmm. right? It's just it's as simple as that. But the things he said there at the end, legacy Americans. He's using a euphemism for white Americans because he has admitted during part of that monologue it was about getting rid of white people in Tucker's mind. That's what it's about. And those are the legacy Americans in his mind. Pay no attention to the reality of 
the American racial makeup and Native Americans and Hispanics and African Americans who are brought here against their consent, all those sorts of things. But it's about legacy Americans, right? And those other ones who are coming in, they're going to be more compliant. They're going to do what the Democrats want because, of course, they're mindless hordes with no ideas of their own. And then naming the Great Replacement, which is the name of this conspiracy theory, which is the word that white supremacists openly use to talk about it, normally ascribing the doing of it to the Jews, who are usually the ones they claim are responsible for intentionally bringing in ethnic minorities to displace white power in this country. He did it all right there. All of it. Every bit of it. Every one of the people we've talked about on the show today, every one of these white supremacists would agree with every word that Tucker Carlson said. And it's not because Tucker Carlson said two plus two equals four. Mm -hmm. It's because they all share the same core of white supremacy. And I think you'll agree that was a better way to end the show than me laughing over Richard Spencer making it. That is true, yeah. (laughs) That's true. Um, Can you wrap it up? Because I want to talk to you about some other stuff. I will wrap it up. Benedict, thank you all for listening. Uh, We hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC. Become a patron for as little as $2 an episode for patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, early releases of our episodes, and more. As always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons. J.D. Mainguest found the song. Yes, you did. Yes, you did, you sexy beast. George Saulnier, Tinker's Dam, Janet Yutter, Stefan, Shannon Haleman, Utah Outcast, Paws, Brent Lee, David Garrido, Dave Barwick, Dodd Snow, Chris Palmer, Bad Bible Stitches, Ellie Bartlett, Benjamin Carlisle, Dexter, Allison, Megan Ruth, Glowrung the Deceiver, Big Easy Blasphemy, Becky Scott Fairley, Stephen and Cindy Dimmick, A.J. Brantley, Taro Tucannon, and Balls Watterson. Thank you all, as always, for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, let's groove tonight. Goodbye. Goodbye. podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.